you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 4, first book of the Bible, Genesis 4. And let me just reiterate, the Masterclass series coming up, it's not a Masterclass on Ephesians, so um, that's, I am not the Masterclass teacher. The series is called Masterclass, and we'll share next week why it's called that. Um, but there's numbers of ways for you to engage in the book of Ephesians. Um, first of all, when you leave here, right at our counter, you can buy a for $3, or you can pay twice the amount on Amazon and not have to wait for it to get shipped. But $3, you get a scripture journal for Ephesians. We did this last year with the Galatians. We end up selling over 300 um, uh, scripture journals for Galatians last year, and you might say, well, how much are you making on it? We make one penny because it costs us $2.99. We're charging you $3. So last year, yes, into our budget, we sewed $3 into the budget. So uh, buy one for three bucks. Uh, parents of, of teenagers, buy one for your teenagers and have conversations about the book of Ephesians. Read it together. The scripture journals, if you've never seen one, you've got scripture on one side and a blank page on the other. And it's how I operate just in my own devotions. I go through books of the Bible on my own. And so I own the New Testament and I'm working on Old Testament books one at a time. I just got the book of Psalms last week, Thursday. I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, but get a scripture journal and bring it with you. Take some sermon notes in there, but more importantly, during the week, get into each chapter. Um, and then the next step would be start a table. And what we mean by table is uh, we believe that whatever we gather around is a table. And if we can gather around Ephesians, think of it right now, maybe one or two people that you know that you can sit and talk with maybe on a weekly basis during the series, talk about Ephesians. Um, have conversations. What are you getting out of, out of Ephesians? What is God showing you? And then Pastor, um, Pastor Kyle, Kyle, Pastor Kevin, too many Ks here. Pastor Kevin is leading a class to talk about Ephesians and going deeper in it. And so that training session is going to be spectacular. Um, he's, got, he's the pastor with the master's degree. He's the master pastor. So we're just going to keep trending that around the church. He is the master pastor. And he's going to be teaching on Ephesians. Um, keep our family in prayer. I am looking to expand our family. And yesterday, for about three seconds, I had my wife slightly convinced on getting a cat. And I know 75% of them are demonic, but I'm looking for the 25%. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Dogs, none of them are demonic, but cats, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. So we're just Christian jokes there. Sorry. I'm trying to loosen you up a little bit as we dive into a... Uh, what I, I believe is uh, a directed, a God-directed message, um, something that's been weighing upon my heart. Um, we're going to have a little bit of a family talk today. And now the rule that I have kind of, a signal that I've given to, I've said this to the staff and even my wife, if I ever sit down during a message, it's because I don't feel good or I got injured somehow. <laughs> have you ever got injured um, preaching? I have. I am not injured. I'm just creating a calm tone here. Do y'all feel calm? Good. So... The Lions are playing the Jags. We all feel calm right now as I eat my words this afternoon. Genesis chapter 4. We have just gotten past um, Adam and Eve, original sin. They're cast out of the garden. The whole creation narrative. It's a beautiful, tragic narrative. And we get to chapter 4. And it says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now that word no, um, I'm not going to describe what that word no is because we do have kids joining us on Sunday morning. So parents, 
so I don't have to, so I don't have to force any talk. Uh, kids, ask your mom later what no means, then they'll explain that. And so she bore his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. That's important to understand right there. Two brothers, same family, two different outlooks on life. In the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground, and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very perturbed. And it's my favorite word. And his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you and you must rule over it. I'm gonna stop right there. Some of us think that we have to be casualties to sin. Well, sin just rules my life. No! You've got the spirit of the risen Savior in your life. You don't have to let sin rule over you. Rule over sin. Hoping for more amens today. All right. Sit back down, David. Maybe they'll be nicer. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be, you shall be a fugitive wandering the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I sh shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer from the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Twice this man had an opportunity to repent before the Lord, and he chose the opposite. Let's pray together. Jesus, we open up our hearts today and ask that you would just speak because your servants are ready to listen and respond. And Lord, I just lay this entire message before you and ask that you would just... Let your servant be your oracle today to speak your voice, to speak your heart. And Lord, I ask that there would just be clarity upon ears, clarity upon emotions, that today that we would take off every filter, our biases, our politics, our opinions and our preferences. Help us to lay everything down at the feet of the cross today in order to catch your heart that we ought to have for one another because you are calling us to be our brother's keeper. We honor you today. Bless one and all. In your name we pray. Amen. The main thought and main heart of my message today, my message is entitled Brother's Keeper. My main thought is simply this. Our treatment of people will either validate or, vi or violate what we say we believe about Jesus. How we treat each other, how we treat people, how we treat people in the church, how we treat people outside the church, how we treat people on social media, how we treat people in the marketplace, how we treat people will either validate or violate what we say we believe about Jesus. We're actually gonna get into that into a couple weeks. I'm gonna, in a couple weeks, I'm gonna do a message called Dead Doctrine because we cannot proclaim to believe something we refuse to live. 
We cannot be a people that talk about and sing about the love of Jesus in the four walls, but don't act that way beyond the four walls. God help us. And so today I am going to, I'm gonna go into a talk, a family talk today, that I'm gonna plead with you, I am going to beg with you for a lot of grace for your pastor today. Because he is just gonna do his best to have a family talk about the issues in the state of today It's really probably the last time that I'm gonna bring up any type of election because after this week, I'm doing a fast from any type of of news media. And I'm going into the next few weeks with prayer and fasting. We're gonna call you to a week of prayer and fasting right before the election and a week after the election, two weeks solid, where we are going to pray over our nation and over our leadership and say, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This series was actually born out of a message that I received um, from so- on social media just about, I think maybe it was two months ago. I can't remember when it was. All I, was rem- I remember was I was messaging with a friend and I really wasn't doing too well internally. I was facing a, just a, a load of discouragement. And this time and this day of, of COVID and navigating church and all of that, all of us churches are going through the same thing. All of us pastors are going through the same thing. And, and, and yet discouragement, us pastors, we can be divas sometimes. We feel like we're the only ones going through this stuff, nobody amened. That encouraged me right there. But we feel this weight, and I was just feeling discouragement. So my friend had wrote me, how are you doing? I just feel really discouraged. And all of a sudden, my phone rang, and it was him. He was calling me from the Middle East. He called me, and he just started talking to me and pouring into me and encouraging me. You've got this. You're the man where God has called you. And he's just kind of pouring into my life. And after he hung up the phone, I mean, I just, I felt so encouraged. I felt so built up. And I sent him a message. He said, you didn't have to call me. And he simply wrote this, these five words back to me. I am my brother's keeper. And in that moment, God birthed a message. Because I don't know how often that you and I, I'll pick up myself, how often have I had the guts to contact somebody in the middle of a moment? Sometimes I'll just send them a message, thoughts and prayers. But I think we have thought and prayed this world to death. How often have we thought and prayed something, but we actually, actually haven't thought about it or prayed about it? And perhaps this world needs is more than just thoughts and prayers. They need brothers and sisters, keepers, willing to reach out and be hands that will reach out. They don't know what to do, but they're out. Ears that will listen, that don't know how to understand them, but they will listen. Voices that will offer compassion, that don't know what to say in the moment, but that nevertheless they will speak compassion. We need brothers and sisters, keepers out there. And it seems in this world that week in, week out, that we seek for what divides us instead of looking for what unites us, that we focus on what is different instead of that which joins us together. Let me just tell you, as a pastor, my focus is not, and my prayer is not that we would become a Christian nation. I'm not worried about America becoming a Christian nation. I'm worried about the church becoming a Christian people. 
Some of y'all think the goal is for us to become, let's return back to God. I'm not sure we always, I think we began with some godly ideas with America, but we were not always fully centered upon God. But my worry is not about the nation. My worry is that us, the church, would be our brothers and sisters keeper, that we would do more than look at each other in the church as our brothers and sisters. But as we're walking the malls, we're walking in Myers, we're driving in traffic, as we're seeing people at parent-teacher conferences, that we would look at people that were made in the image of God, just like you and I have been made, and we see them as our brothers and our sisters. So let's break it down. Now Adam knew his wife and conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore Abel, and Abel was the keeper of sheep, and the Cain was a worker of the ground. All right, I hit the pause button for a second there. Um, Cain and Abel, born to the same mom, diverse in their personalities, diverse in their focus, diverse in the way they approached life. And I love the fact that even in the very beginning, in the first family, that we have got diversity in the way they look at life and the way they approach life, and we'll read even in a few verses, the way that they approach God and they understood God, there was diversity there. And that's something that you've heard me say from this pulpit for the past 11 years, that unity does not equate to uniformity. Unity does not mean uniformity. Y'all should not look like me and thank your lucky stars you don't. You don't have to vote like I do. You don't have to think like I do. You don't have to feel like I do. I remember uh, it was last year, I preached a message at North Point Bible College and this woman, uh, the young woman walked up to Ann and she goes, you must feel really blessed to be married to Pastor Dave. She goes, oh, you have no idea what I have to deal with dealing with that man. We may have, may have broke that girl in that moment. What, he's not perfect? Oh, of course he's perfect. I think so often we fight for making somebody think and believe how we believe instead of finding that which unites us. And it's Jesus that unites us. It's Jesus that brings us together. Jesus is the ultimate table that we gather around because if you don't believe that we should have diversity amongst who we are, you've never studied the 12 apostles of Jesus. You've never looked at the joker sitting around that table. You've never studied their politics. You can study the zealot, you can study your Matthew, and you gotta ask yourself, how did he never ever kill Matthew at some point? There were family around that table that were, Jesus is talking about dying, and they're arguing about, yeah, that's great, but who's gonna sit on your right and your left when we all sit in heaven? Who's gonna have the better throne? There was just a diversity around the table, and yet God used a unity on the day of Pentecost that brought them together and used the diversity around their personalities that caused them to preach and to travel all throughout that region into other countries, and 11 out of the 12, including Matthias, were martyred for the kingdom in other countries because they chose to live out who they were underneath the covering of being unified in Jesus Christ. We can learn something about that. Cain and Abel, two different approaches. One kept the sheep and the other kept the ground. And it says in verse three, and in the course of time, Cain brought an offering of fruit, of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also bought the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard to Abel and his offering, and with Cain, his offering he had no regard. Now look at this. We've got two different approaches to God. 
And God is trying to teach something to Cain and Cain doesn't receive it. Ever try to correct somebody and they, never, and they just didn't receive it? Anybody? No parents, you have never parented a child and ever said for them to, oh, thank you, I got three hands. The rest of you have perfect kids. Tell me how you did that. And God is trying to teach something to Cain and Cain is lit on the inside. Because God is trying to teach him something because for, for Cain, he gave God a token, but for Abel, he gave God his best. We can learn something from that because the kingdom of God is not built off tokens. Like we don't give just a token offering, we give God our best. That's why we believe in tithing. You don't just build friendships based upon tokens. You give your all to a friendship. When it comes to commitments, we don't just give a token to our marriage. We don't give token to a church. We don't give to, we give what we have because we don't give it to Pastor Dave. We give unto the Lord. And the kingdom cannot be built off tokens. And yet Abel gets all disgruntled. And look what it says, it's in verse, uh, verse five. For Cain, his, his offering, he had no regard, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. Um, I'm gonna teach you two Hebrew idioms this morning. It says, uh, Cain was very angry, and the Hebrew it says, and it was hot to Cain. What was hot? His face was hot to Cain. It's a Hebrew idiom that means he was burning with anger. So he is hacked off at his brother. Secondly, that word face fell is a Hebrew idiom that means to be dejected or to be depressed. The face and the way it faced really matters in scripture because it's symbolism. For example, in the Hebrew uh, blessing from uh, Numbers chapter six, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May his face turn towards you and grant you peace. The idea of a face being lifted up or turning toward means acceptance. But for a face to fall here means that he feels absolutely dejected. Cain is suffering from a feeling of rejection and he is angry from the issue of comparison. So instead of self-reflecting with God and repenting with his own brother, he goes in the way of fury and resentment. Instead of repenting, instead of self-reflecting about how should I be approaching God? I mean, he's offering gifts and God's trying to teach him. And instead of allowing God to teach him, he begins to respond in anger, fury, resentment, and begins to say, well, well, Abel must be superior. And so, so therefore, I've got to do something about that. I want you to write something down in your notes today. I hope you're taking notes. Write down this. Satan hopes we will feel either inferior or superior, and he doesn't care which one as long as it brings division. I think some of y'all gotta get this today. Satan doesn't care if you feel superior or inferior. He wants you to pick one or the other. He doesn't want you to recognize that around the foot of the cross, it is all level. You're not better than me and I'm not better than you. You know, I've got a degree in Bible, it doesn't matter. I'm not better than you. Some of you got a better pedigree of church than me. It doesn't matter that you're, it doesn't matter that. We're all level around the foot of, the G, of Jesus. Jesus is the one that's superior, but what the enemy wants to do is begin to seed in your heart that you are lesser than somebody else or that you are better than somebody else and he doesn't care as long as it divides the body of Christ. Because Psalms 133 says, where there's unity, God commands his blessing. So how do we get rid of the command and blessing of God? Let's get the church to tear itself apart from the inside out. First John chapter four, verse 20 simply says this. 
If anybody says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If we look at people as lesser, or we throw ourselves down out of a false humility, which is pride, and just assuming somebody's better, we are missing out on who God really is. In Christ, there is no inferior or superior. We are all one in Jesus. Some of you need to write that down and just remind yourself, you're not inferior, we're all one in Jesus. I'm not better than somebody else. We are all one in Jesus. In a book that the staff is reading, the book is called Love Matters More, um, our author talks about how we as, as people build what he calls straw men. And a straw man is an image that we built based off of the extremes that we think of. So if I hear you say something, a stance that you have, and if I go to an extreme and form an image about that extreme, that is a straw man. For example, and again, I asked for grace, didn't I? Y'all heard me. Online, y'all heard me. That means if I were to say the words, Black Lives Matter, some of y'all will immediately build a straw man assuming that if Pastor Day believes that Black Lives Matter, he automatically aligns with a movement instead of recognizing that black men and women matter and they are made in the image of God. They are the Imago Day. Or, and when I talk about me supporting the police, I promise you it's happened. People have sent me messages or, or written on my Facebook four letters, ACAB, which means all cops are, I'll use the nicer word, bad. And some of them don't understand that number one, all cops are not bad. Number two, my brother-in-law is a cop. Number three, we've got amazing police officers that go to this congregation. Number four, we've got amazing police officers that serve our nation. But it's amazing that when I say something like that, somebody can build a straw man based off an extreme. That just because I support the police means that I support brutality. Or, Pastor Dave, I heard that you went to a protest. Does that mean you support the rioters? It's a straw man that you can support peaceful protesting. It could be a very good thing. And it doesn't mean, let me just say this. I don't condone rioting. I don't condone a violence. I don't condone the, the needless destruction of people and lives and businesses. I don't. Or this, I can't compliment a, a politician because immediately if I compliment a Republican, somebody's built a straw man, an extreme. Or if I compliment a Democrat, they, they go toward the other extreme. And, they, and I can't, honestly, Pastor Dave can't win sometimes. In the past, I'm, I apologize if I've got I to read that. I've got to get my verbiage right here. In the past, I have been called a half-hearted Christian, a baby killer, or evil because somebody thought I was a Democrat. In the past, I've been told that I don't care for the poor or minorities, or I'm all about the wealthy because somebody thought I was a Republican. I have been called a coward because I consider myself an independent. In fact, more specifically, I'll tell you this, Pastor Dave is a kingdom-minded, pro-life independent. I have lost attendees over political assumptions, gossip, and social media slander. 
I've lost people in our congregation due to my refusal to align myself with their politics or a specific political party. And in an effort to not take any political side, I've been attacked by both sides. And it's all good. But ladies and gentlemen, this is what I call the Cain spirit. This is the Cain spirit. Let me see what I don't like in you. And let me kill it. Let me kill your background. Let me kill your reputation. Let me say things about your congregation. Let me say things about who you are. Let me make assumptions. Let me build straw men about you so that I can make an image about you that I can go after. Instead of seeing what unites us, Cain's spirit only sees what is different. And instead of being my brothers and sisters attacker, which quite funny in my notes, I put the BS attacker, but brothers and sisters attacker. <laughs> Don't go there. To the pure, all things are pure. But instead of being our brothers and sisters keeper, we become our brothers and sisters attacker. Some of y'all are so bent on being your brothers and sisters teacher that you've never been our brother or sister listener our brother, sister, lover, our brother, sister, keeper. Some of us are so bent on changing other people that we have yet to listen to their story and to be in their shoes. I love this, this quote by a pastor, his name is Aaron Burke. He says, the church should be a safe place where we can disagree politically but love unconditionally. I would even asterisk that. A church should be a place where we can disagree on almost anything. Let me tell you this, sometimes atheists show up to the church. Do you realize I might have something to disagree with with an atheist? But they're welcome here. You're welcome to belong before you have to become anything. And so for some of you, you don't want a church like that and I hope that you never find a church where people have to become something before they can ever belong. I need a Jesus-centered church. I don't want a Republican church and I don't want a Democrat church. I want a Jesus-centered church. And we have to watch our hearts because if we don't watch it, we become Cain. Verse six. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, you will be accepted. And if you don't do what's well, sin is crouching at the door desiring for you, but you must rule over it. We have a choice of what we allow to subdue our hearts. You can't blame a candidate and you cannot blame a party for what has subdued your heart. They did not subdue your heart, you let them do that. We've got the spirit of Christ. We've got the spirit of Christ. And all of us can fall into this place of, it's called F-I-E, fundamental attribution error. I was reading a, I was reading a paper on fundamental, fundamental attribution error. It's a mouthful to say. And I was reading on simplepsychology.com. Yes, I love simple psychology. It helps me understand the things that I failed back in college. So this state is honestly, it's a cognitive bias where we place an assumption over an individual based upon their actions. So we see their actions and we make a judgment over them, over their character based upon their behavior. 
And we will say this, the reason why this person believes this is because they're this type of person. Or the, way, the reason why this person acts this way is because this, they're this type of person. And so we make judgment calls based on their behavior instead of making a judgment call based upon maybe the climate, their environment, or something that maybe they have gone through. But yet when it comes to us, we don't make those type of assumptions. This doesn't matter when it comes to ourselves. Let me paint a picture. Somebody shows up late to meet you for coffee. And you're thinking to yourself, I showed up on time. In fact, I showed up early. So they are a lazy person because they didn't show up on time. Or they are undisciplined. They don't know how to keep a calendar. They're inconsiderate. F-A-E means that we have a bias and we assume things based off of an action or an interpretation. And we have not asked about the environment or the climate or the things that they're going through. Now, granted, if you are an on-time person, how many of us on-time people have ever been late to something? Anybody, anyone? The rest of you are lying, okay. But if we show up late, you know what we say? It's not that we're lazy or we're undisciplined or we can't keep a calendar. We had this had come up that I could not avoid. This phone call came in and I couldn't, I couldn't let it go to voicemail. Because of the environment or because of the situation, we write ourselves a little bit of a free pass because we know our environment, we know our situation. But yet in this political climate, we get sucked into a cognitive bias based off of what somebody has said or what somebody believes. And so we, we come up with a bias, a fundamental attribution error that says something like this. Democrats are corrupt. Do you know why they act that way? It's because they're corrupt. Or Republicans are heartless. Do you know why they vote or believe that way? It's because they're heartless. And then we get sucked into some bias based off of a belief. And then instead of getting to know them, we attack. And we say things like, clearly something's wrong with those people because all Democrats are this or all Republicans are this. But understand that mature, healthy, courageous, intelligent, empathetic, grace-filled Christians, we cannot fall for this. We can't fall for this because that's the Cain spirit. Let me see what's different and let's attack them. Let me paint a picture of what's different and then begin to walk in assumption and kill off that which I don't like. The political rhetoric of our day pushes us that way and we cannot allow the Cain spirit to fracture us and to attack people based off of a bias or based off of a perspective. Now the problem is this, is that we all think that Jesus is a part of our political party. I'm not gonna ask who's who, we have Republicans, we have Democrats, and we might have the lone, kingdom-minded, independent. Uh, I might have a communist in the room. Who knows what I've got in the room here who's watching. But every single one of you thinks Jesus is on your side. Because when you put Jesus through your political filter, of course Jesus agrees with you. We paint him red, we paint him black, we paint him blue, we paint him whatever color. And of course Jesus is gonna agree with you when you look at Jesus through your political bias. But I'm here to say that I can look at both sides of the aisle and I promise you this, I can make an argument for the kingdom of God on either side. Because there's good on either side. I get people show up in my office, this side's all evil, both sides have evil. You're right, but that side has more evil. 
There's no such thing as a political party that completely aligns with the kingdom of God. I'm gonna take you up on that amen sometime. But we have to come back as a church to become kingdom first people instead of politics first people. We have to come back to the place where we are kingdom first people and politics, for, and politics second people. So Jared, I need you to play. Make me sound a little bit more spiritual and help me finish up here. Verse eight. Cain spoke to, his, to Abel, his brother. In other words, let's go hang out a little bit, but he had a plan. He was setting up his brother. And they went to the field. Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, if you notice in this whole section, I, I, I want you to actually go, and if you have your paper Bible, circle it. Circle the word brother, because you're gonna understand something in this passage. The ESV, the English Standard Version that I'm reading, seven times the word brother is used in this passage. Why is that there? Because it's trying to emphasize that there is a connection. You're not, they weren't, they weren't distant. They, he wasn't supposed to see him as, as, an, um, as a, an enemy as an other person, as somebody's disconnected. He's trying to paint a picture. God's trying to tell us that the person that you are with and the people that we live around and the people that we operate, we have to stop seeing them as an enemy. There's a difference between an opponent and an enemy. You can have political opponents without having political enemies. We can have friendships that we can disagree with and still see eye to eye on something, specifically Jesus. And too often, we are told to focus more on the parties than the people. You know what I love about old school church? And I see this whenever, whenever I'm in the South. And it's the best part of the South besides cornbread and pinto beans. The best part of the South is you don't ever have to memorize somebody's name. You call them what? brother or sister. It's one thing I love about old school church is when you didn't know somebody's name, you called them brother or sister, but there's something so much deeper than that. And then you were choosing to say, you know what? I choose, now, now that I've met you, I choose, to see, I choose to see you as my brother or as my sister, which means we treat family different. You see, a candidate will win based off an election on one day, but the church wins or loses based upon how we treat each other every day. A candidate will win or lose, or in fact, I don't think anybody's gonna win on November 3rd, but don't get me started on that. But the reality is in one election, one person will win, but the reality is the church will win or lose every single day based on how we treat each other. Are you frustrated with the culture right now? I am too. And I've had people talking to me for the past seven months, frustrated at the church culture, not our church, but all church culture. They're hurt, they're mad, they're angry, they're brokenhearted at how they, we, they see all of us treating one another. I've had people say, well, maybe I need to find a church where we all believe the same thing. And I, my, my response is, you could try that, but good luck. Because it's easy to go to another church and to sit for the next couple years and feel like, wow, we all see things eye to eye. But the second you start to get to know people, you're gonna realize they're just as messed up as the last church. But their pastor's not as good looking as Pastor Dave. Someone's gotta lighten it up. 
If you're looking for a church that is gonna see everything eye to eye with you on every single thing, you're not gonna find it. But one thing you're gonna find at this church is we are close-handed. We grip onto Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life that nobody comes to the Father but by him. We will be people of the scriptures. We will be people of the spirit. We will be people of love. We will be people of the great commission. We're gonna encourage people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're gonna encourage people to follow their giftings and be called into ministry or into whatever ministry in life, whatever that looks like. We're gonna be people that loves unconditionally, which means there are gonna be people walking through those doors whether you don't like them, you don't like their smell, you don't like their sexuality, you don't like their look, you don't like their color, and you're just gonna have to get over it because even though my stances on sexuality have never changed, I still believe in man and woman, I still believe in marriage was where sexuality was meant to be fulfilled, but I will never dictate hate toward anybody based upon who they are. They are loved by Jesus and made in the image of God. I won't dictate love based upon a person's color, upon a person's gender, why? Because they are much as deserving of the love of God as I am. This is the way life was meant to be. And so the question is, will we be our brother's keeper? That word keeper in the Hebrew language literally means to guard, to keep watch, to ward, to protect, and to save life. Who knows by, by being your brother's keeper, by being your sister's keeper, that you're not gonna save their life, save their soul, save their view of church, most importantly, save their view of Jesus. What if we looked at the world and we just said, I will be my brother's, or I will be my sister's keeper, but we have to be willing to put our Jesus filter on before we put our political filters on. How do we stay unified in the body? Be your brother's keeper. Be your sister's keeper. You may not, you may not like others, some of you in the room, you are hard to like. Some of you realize the person in the pulpit is hard to like. But we will be our brothers and our sisters keeper. And so I wrap up with this. How do we do all of this? It's a simple four, I, I wrote down four things and they all begin with the letter L because that's all preachers know to do. It rhymes stuff and helps things to flow here. But how do we become our brother's keeper? Number one, listen closely. Listen close to the people. Listen to people who do not experience the world the way that you do. Number two, listen, learn intentionally. Don't listen to talk that's manipulative. Listen so that you can learn intentionally. Learn about somebody else's life. Learn about their culture. Learn about their background. Every once in a while, I get the thrill when somebody will go into a trailer park and they're like, Pastor, if you were raised in one, can you tell me about the culture? And I get all giddy. Someone's asking me about the, the culture I was raised in. I love talking about my experiences and the subculture that I grew up in. Ask somebody. Number three, love extravagantly. Why? Because we were never meant to burn a bridge, a relational bridge over political views. Love extravagantly. And then lastly, live incarnationally. The incarnation is when Jesus, God became flesh, became in full view. That's what that word means. I want you to live in such a way that gives people the full view of what Jesus looks like. Why? Because Jesus was our keeper. He's your keeper, he's my keeper. And we can't be judgers and haters, manipulators. Moving people toward, you gotta believe what I believe. Let's show them Jesus and let's rally them to Jesus and Jesus will sort out the rest. 
Why is it that to me black lives matter? Because I'm my black brothers and my black sisters keeper. Why do brown lives matter? Because I am my brown brother's keeper and my brown sister's keeper. Why is that the police and public safety matter? Because I am their keeper. Why is it that people who maybe I don't like or don't favor matter? Because I'm their keeper too. This year, vote how you want to vote. Vote in the way that you want to vote. But all I'm going to ask you to do is this, is don't mistreat anybody made into the image of God. Vote who you want to vote. Vote your conviction, and that's fine. I'm not going to condemn your vote. I won't do that because I think that's manipulative. I'm not going to condemn it. I want you to vote the way that Jesus leads you to vote. I want you to seek the face of God. But in the... In the meantime, don't mistrust, mistrust, mistreat people who don't vote like you do, maybe think like you do. The reason why I don't tell you how to vote because that's not my place. The staff and I vote differently on numbers of different things and numbers of different ways and numbers of different approaches. But the thing that we continue to come back to is, is Jesus. And our treatment of people, we either validate or violate what we say about Jesus. Bow your heads with me. I'm done yapping. I know I've gone long. I believe today is a very, very important day for our congregation. And Jesus, what I begin to pray over this congregation, I I pray over the body of Christ here at K-First, the portion of the body of Christ that we are a part of here. Jesus, I ask that you would help us to be one as you, the Father, and the Spirit are one. I pray that priestly prayer that you prayed in the book of John that people would know who you are by our oneness, that people would know who you are by our united front, that people would, Lord, see the diversity in the body of Christ and see the beauty of the unity that the Spirit of God gives us despite our different political beliefs or stances. Help us to see you as one. And Lord, today, Lord, Lord, I just cast out, Lord, I speak against the Cain spirit that wants to rise up and destroy a person or a group or a people based upon what we see, a bias, a thought, a belief, God. And Lord, help us to see one another as our brothers and our sisters keeper. Lord, we proclaim this house is yours. This building, 5550 Oakland Drive is yours. And ask that the spirit of God that you would just descend upon us anoint us, heal us, bring us to a place of restoration and hope that people's lives will be transformed, not because of anything that we think we are, but because of how great you are in our midst. And so today, Lord, we proclaim this place, your place, a house of miracles. We speak this in Jesus' name.